Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. The power of prayer. The power of prayer. Uh, I wanted to do this today because prayer has been like marinating. The subject of prayer has been marinating in my spirit over the last several days, uh, if not the last week. And so I want to talk about what prayer does to the believer and uh, how prayer plays an integral part in the fulfillment of prophecy in our lives. You know, a lot of people, they have a prophetic word from God. God's told them, you're going to do this. Or God said, you're going to have that. Or God said, this is where I'm leading you. And that's where prophecy stops for many people. They just hold on to a prophecy. They hold on to a word that they've gotten from, from, from a prophet or a man of God. Or maybe they've even read something in the scripture and the Holy Spirit quickened it into their spirit and they know that that's where God's taking them. But I want to make this very clear to you, and we're going to read it out of 2 Timothy, but I want to make it very clear to you. Just because God has a prophecy concerning you does not mean it's going to be automatically fulfilled. Doesn't mean that it's just going to drop into your lap. Doesn't mean that it's it's an automatic thing, that it's like programmed that regardless of what you do or don't do, it's going to happen. And that's where a lot of people get frustrated, and that's where a lot of people mess up. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Listen to this, 1 Timothy, I think it's chapter 2, let me check, um, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 2, seriously, 1 Timothy, chapter 2, my bad, I, I should have looked up the reference before, I, oh here, 1 Timothy, chapter 1, sorry, 1 Timothy, chapter 1, and verse 18, so this is Paul talking to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he admonishes him. He says, this charge I commit to you, Timothy, son Timothy. So he says, I'm charging you. I'm, I'm imploring you. I'm putting this responsibility on you now. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you. So whether Paul gave the, prophe- the prophecy or other men of God gave Timothy specific prophecies concerning his life. Paul says, now I'm charging you. I'm imploring you. I'm putting this, now, this responsibility on you now. That according to the prophecies that were previously made concerning you. They're just going to be made, they're going to happen. And and there's nothing you can do to help. No, that's not what Paul said. Paul said, concerning those prophecies, by them, you should wage the good warfare and have faith and a a good conscience. So Paul says, yes, there's wonderful things that have been spoken about you, Timothy. You're going to shake the region of Ephesus as a, part, as a pastor. You're going to do wonderful things. God's going to work miracles through you. But I'm telling you now, if you just sit on that word of prophecy, it's going to do you no good. If you don't pray it through, the Bible says we are, the, by the prophecies made, we are to wage the good warfare. Old time saints used to call it praying it through. That when God speaks something to you, you begin 
begin to pray it through. You begin to locate promises in the word of God that guarantee, that confirm what the, what, what the, uh, whatever word God's already given into your spirit. You get things that confirm, that come behind the word. And then you pray the thing through until you see the fulfillment of that. Remember in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah goes out and the scripture says, he tells King Ahab that mark my words, as long as the Lord God of Israel lives, there will not be one drop of rain that hits the ground, nor will the, there even be dew on the ground until I say otherwise. Well, people think Elijah was just some amazing prophet that he, he just, whatever he said went regardless of anything. Elijah was actually acting on Deuteronomy 28. God had already spoken a word of prophecy saying, if my people turn away from following me and worship the Baals, then I will make the heavens above them like a bronze gate and it, there will be no rain and I'll cause a drought in the land and they will be defeated by their enemies. That's part of Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through the end of the chapter. The, 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 the subheading of that is the curses for disobedience. So when Elijah came and proclaimed the drought in all of Israel, he was just acting on the word of prophecy that was spoken in Deuteronomy 28. Well, it's not really prophecy. It was just the word of the Lord. It was a warning. It was a caution. And so what did Elijah do? He prayed that word through and that there was no rain on the earth for three and a half years. Then fast forward three and a half years later, Elijah then has the Mount Carmel experience where the children of Israel returned back to the Lord their God in worship. They repented and turned away from idols. And the Bible says Elijah went on the mountain and he began to pray. And what was he praying? He wasn't just praying empty prayers. God, you know, it's been three and a half years. People are starting to really get struggle, uh, struggle here. People are really starting to get frustrated. Uh, they're turning to, re to, 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 to all kinds of things now. And I think it's going to get really nasty if you don't send rain now. That's not what Elijah was praying. Deuter Deuteronomy 28 says, but if you return... If you come back to the Lord, if you obey the Lord, I'll open up the good heavens and give you rain in its season. So Elijah was just acting on the word. He had the prophetic word of the scriptures confirmed. He took it and, and warred according to them. And the Bible says... He, the heavens gave rain and the earth began to produce its crops again. That wasn't accidental. That was the result. See, people think Elijah was like some superhuman being when in reality, James chapter five says that Elijah was a man of like nature as you and I. He wasn't floating around with a halo on his head and uh, he had angels that just picked him up everywhere he went. The Bible says he had the same nature as us. He had flesh and blood actually uh, he, 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 he seemed to be kind of an angry guy at times. So it's not like he was exempt from fleshly and carnal um, tendencies. He, he looked like you and I. He struggled with the flesh uh, in his day. He had to put down the flesh and subdue it to the desires of the spirit. He wasn't just programmed for perfection. He, 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 he was a, a prophet called by God but he had the same body that you have. But what was the difference? Is that he didn't sit on the word of God. He prayed it through until he saw it. Deuteronomy 2.24, the Bible 
in illustrating my point here, the Bible talks about another time where the Israelites were circling a mountain. They were just going around a mountain time and time again. They were just circling the promise. And that's what a lot of people are doing today. And that, that might even be you. And I'm not here to rebuke you. I'm here to exhort you. I'm here to tell you the way out. You're not to just circle the promise. You're not to just talk about the promise. You're not to just think on the promises of God. God wants to actually bring those promises into reality and into fruition. But the agency by which that happens is prayer. Deuteronomy 2.24, God said, you've dwelt around this mountain long enough. You've talked about the promise long enough. You've, you've, you, know, you can believe God with all your heart for something, but believing isn't going to get the job done by itself. You have to actually pray, even when it comes to salvation. You can't just believe God raised Jesus from the dead and that's it. You have to actually, the Bible says, through confession. You have to use your mouth and confess. The Bible says, through confession, you are saved. You have to ask God to forgive your sins. You have to ask God to cleanse you, fill you with his, with his Holy Spirit. So all of that is a product of prayer. The promise is there, but the prayer is what produces the promise and brings it into actuality. So Deuteronomy 2.24, God, he, he exhorts the people of Israel. He said, you've dwelt around this mountain long enough. I'm telling you, rise up. Rise up. Take your journey. Pass over the river Arvon. And behold, I give unto you, into your hand, I'm giving into your hand Sihon, king of the Amorite, kings of, the king of Heshbon, and all of his land. I'm giving you this land to dwell in. So begin, this is what God said, begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. No matter the promise God has given you, there will be giants trying to keep you out of God's best and out of the promised land. There will always be an enemy. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 and verse 12 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against unseen forces in heavenly places. And the weapons of our warfare, this is 2 Corinthians 10 now, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's an unseen enemy that we have. So God has given us an unseen weapon, an invisible weapon, but nevertheless, a powerful weapon to disarm the forces that are arrayed against us so that we can take possession of what God has, has already given to us, has already promised us. You know, God has, the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 3, we give thanks unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. God's already blessed you with everything heaven has to offer. The Bible says that if God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will he not freely give us everything else to richly enjoy? I love this scripture in Romans chapter 8. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can just trust me. It's in here. Romans chapter 8. This is what Paul says. Paul says... If while we, sorry, not Romans 8, Romans chapter 5. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners and enemies, God sent his best to us. Now listen to this. Paul says, much more than, much more than. Saying, if while you were an enemy of God, if while your life was in direct opposition to God's will, God still was good to you, and it was the kindness of the Lord that led you to repentance, much more now, he's saying, 
Having now been justified by his blood, we will be saved from wrath through him. For if, listen to this, Romans 5.10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, he uses that word, those words again, much more, having now been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So Paul's saying if while we were in direct opposition to his counsel and will for our lives, he was still good to us and he caused his reign to fall on us, how much more now, having been reconciled, connected back to God, become one spirit with him, having received Jesus, we've become, become children of God, John 1.12 says, how much more will he be good to us? So in redemption, everything, you know, there's a parable Jesus says, he, he talks about how there was a, a wedding feast that was taking place and the master of the wedding feast sent out invitations and he said, go out and send the invitations to those who are invited. And he said, tell them this, tell them that my table has been set and everything's been prepared, all things are ready. That's what the, the, the master of the feast said, which represents God dispatching ambassadors on the earth, preachers of the gospel, to tell everyone and anyone that the table's been set, all things are ready. So when you came to Christ, the moment you got saved and born again, washed in the blood, all things were ready then. All things. Every rich blessing that heaven has to offer was at your disposal the moment you became a child of God. Listen to this. This is in Galatians chapter 4. This is, I mean, scriptures are just popping out of my spirit right now, but Galatians chapter 4. Actually, let's start with verse 3 and verse 26. Galatians 3, 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a child of God. For, but that just becoming a child of God does not mean any, everything's just going to be handed, on, handed to you on a golden platter. It doesn't mean you're just going to be walking through a field of flowers and daisies and just frolicking off. No. We read that before in Deuteronomy 2, 24, that there's going to be opposition. Even though God said, I'm giving you, it's yours, it's your inheritance, I already got the title deed for you, here it is, in your name, but there's maggots in the land, and there's giants in the land, and there's opposition in the land, but good news is, I've given you power to fight the good fight of faith, not only am I giving you the land, through the fight of faith, which we fight in prayer, the weapons of our warfare, the weapon of prayer is how we fight. We don't go out and take swords and guns and stuff to defeat our, our fleshly opposition. We war quite unlike how the world wars. We war in a different manner, and it's the most effective manner. And God said when you do it that way, even though there's opposition in the land, you'll be like a Holy Ghost bulldozer, and you'll just clear it all out. So just becoming a child, that's where people miss it. They think the moment I got saved, well, it, why isn't it working? I'm going to show you why. For you are all sons of God, he says. And as many as you were baptized into Christ, you've put on Jesus Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither free nor slave. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to all the promise. So he's saying everything God promised Abraham is now yours. And God promised Abraham not only victory, God promised Abraham victory after victory all the days of his life. Remember what he told Joshua. He said, Joshua, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. 
But I want you to know something. Even though I'm with you, there will be men that stand against you. However, no man that stands against you will ever prevail against you. For the scripture says, I've given you my word. You know, he said, keep my word in your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. For then you will be prosperous and you'll have good success. He says, no man will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And every place on which the sole of your foot treads on, that's land that I'm giving to you. So notice you can't just sit at home and believe God that you're going to take over. You have to actually get up, like he said in Deuteronomy 2.24, rise up and take your journey. And the journey we're taking is the journey of prayer. When you're praying, even though you might just be pacing back and forth in your basement or in a closet in your home or wherever you might do it, in your neighborhood as you pray, even though you might just be pacing in a 10 square foot uh, area, in the spirit, you're taking ground. Your feet are treading on land and as you do that the bible says it, god told joshua every place on which the sole of your foot treads on that land is being transferred into your ownership into your hands so when you pray even though you might not have healing when you pray for healing to manifest in your body and you pray the prayer of faith you're actually taking your spiritual feet and treading on the land of healing and supernatural recovery in your flesh is being generated and divine strength is coming alive in you. But let me not get ahead of myself. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. If you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed and there is according to the promise. Now get this, verse, chapter four and verse one. Now I say, so he says you're an heir. It belongs to you. God signed it over to you. The Bible says we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. But as even though you're an heir, Paul says, as long as you remain childlike, you do not differ at all from a slave. An heir, as long as he is a child, he's comparing the natural with the spiritual. As long as he's a child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave, though he is master of it all. So Paul is saying, even though all these things belong to you, if you remain childlike in your understanding on how to take possession of those things, if you remain a child, you know, it, children, three, four-year-olds, children, children, most children at least, most children don't have rigorous prayer lives. Most children don't, they're not praying, you know, we, 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 we train them in the way that they should go. We, we teach them to pray. My son recently, he's been wanting to pray with me every time I pray, which is awesome. It really brings me great joy. But naturally, a child's not like engaging in, 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 in prayer war all the day. And they're, you know, going on fast. Well, first of all, they shouldn't be fasting at that age. But Paul's saying, as long as you remain a child in your prayer life, ignorant of the potentialities of prayer, even though everything belongs to you, your life's not going to differ at all from a slave. Someone who's still enslaved to sin. Someone who's still enslaved to sickness. Someone who is still enslaved to poverty. Someone who is still enslaved to the natural confines of the flesh that the sin of Adam brought upon the human race. He says, if you don't grow in maturity in your prayer life, you're not going to differ at all from the rest, even though these things belong to you. So that's why we're doing this broadcast today to teach you how to, to pray and what happens when you pray. The power of prayer. Things don't just happen. Jesus said this, 
When you pray, pray like this. That my will, my Father's will that is in heaven, pray that his will be done on the earth. So that tells you, God has a will in heaven. God has a wonderful will in heaven. God has many plans for you. The Bible says he has plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to build you up and not destroy you. How be it, Jesus said, for those plans to actually take root in your life, you have to engage in prayer. He said, pray that my will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So whatever you see in heaven, is there sickness there? No. Is there poverty there? No. Is there depression there? Absolutely not. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, pleasures forevermore. So are all these things in heaven? No, they're not. Jesus said, well, that's great that they're not in heaven, but I don't want them to be in your life here on the earth. But for that to happen, pray. Hallelujah. Pray. Pray. I want you to write that in the comment section. I will pray. I will pray. Don't watch your long-standing issues multiply and grow. Joblessness, health issues, stagnation, marital issues. Don't just watch it grow. Don't just watch it and wish it away. If wishes were horses, poor men would ride. It's not about wishing. We're not talking about positive thinking. Although all those things play a part in good prayer and effective prayer. But we're talking about engaging the God of heaven. So that we can provoke his hand of intervention to intervene in our affairs so as to produce a favorable outcome. So don't watch them just, don't watch the enemy just ransack your home and do nothing about it. Don't watch the devil mess with your finances and do nothing about it. Don't watch the devil touch your health and your mind and just sit back and hope God one day will act. It seems to me, Charles Wesley used to say, it seems to me that God will do nothing on the earth unless man prays. God's been on standby waiting to do something since the moment you were, were saved. He's been waiting to do something about the situation. But it seems to me, you know, James 4, 3, ye have not because you ask, ask not, ask not. So cry out to God against it. Remind him of his promises. Put him in remembrance of his promises. The Bible says, when I cry out, my enemy will turn back. This I know because God is for me. Israel was in bondage for 400 years. In Exodus 3, the Bible says, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Lord said, I heard your cry. I've seen your, I've seen your affliction and I'm come down and I'm sending Moses to deliver you now. So they remained in bondage for 400 years. And it was when they finally got to a point of enough is enough. I'm not tolerating this mess anymore. There's a scripture in Genesis that says that it shall come to pass when you become restless that the yoke will be destroyed off thy shoulders. When you become restless, are you restless? Are you okay coping with what the devil's trying to do in your life? Or have you become restless and said, no, 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 you've come far enough not one more inch will you encroach upon my spiritual inheritance, inheritance that God has given me. Enough's enough. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to pick up the weapons of my warfare. I'm going to war for my family. I'm going to war for my finances. I'm going to war for my health. I'm going to war. 
and to lay hold on those things which Jesus Christ's blood has already paid the price for me to have. They cried out, the Israelites, and then God delivered. The Bible says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and it's the violent that take it by force, not the passive. Well, well whenever the Lord wants me to have it, you know, it's in his timing. The violent take it by force. That woman who had a daughter that was severely demon-possessed. She was a Gentile woman. And at the moment Jesus was on the earth, his ministry was not open to the Gentiles at that particular time. He came first to the Jew. Salvation is to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. Now the door's been opened to Jew and Gentile. And the, whole, the holy heavenly calling has been given to all. It's a universal call. Come all ye in all the nations of the earth uh, come unto me and, and find rest. That's, that's what's happened now. But in that day, Jesus was on the earth. There was a different dispensation. And Jesus, Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He even told his disciples, don't go into the way of the Gentiles. Stay with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's where my mission is. Well, what happens? This Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile woman, comes to Jesus and says, son of David, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. I've heard the Jews speak about you. I've even become a proselyte. I've become a Jew, uh, even though I'm not a Jew. I've, I've proselytized. And I know who you are. I know what your mission is. I've read the Old Testament scrolls. I, I know that you are the fulfillment of the promised seed of Abraham. And so I ask you, come and deliver my daughter who's severely demon-possessed. He answered her not a word because it wasn't at that time his timing. Now, a lot of people take this. You see, sometimes God's timing is... It wasn't... I just explained it all. It wasn't his time to the Gentiles. Now the door's been opened to the Gentiles and all can come and ask me anything. The Bible says, call unto me and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not of. So she prevailed. She persevered. She prevailed against that. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, send her away. She's annoying me. She's, 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 uh, she's, she's annoying. That's as simple as you can get. Jesus looked at her and he says, it's not good to take the children's bread and give it to the little dog. She says, yes, but even the little dogs get to eat from the master's table, the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus said, whoa, woman, great is your faith. Let it be unto you as you have desired. So even at that time, that woman understand, understood the power of persistent prayers and tapping into God's power. And it yielded a response. And she was violent in nature. She didn't give up. She refused to go home empty-handed. She refused to quit praying until she started seeing. She refused to settle until she saw the fullness of the manifestation of God's power. So what does prayer do? I've written down four things. Number one, prayer changes you. Prayer changes you. There is, understand this, there is a lion nature on the inside of every born-again believer. There's a lion nature in you. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.11, For both Jesus who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, which is us, are one. For which cause Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. Jesus is not ashamed to call you a brother in Christ. He's not ashamed to call you a sister in Christ. He's not ashamed to associate with us. You know, Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, and we've been adopted into the family of God and have been begotten unto a living hope, the Bible says. So now, the Bible says, now we are the children of God. 
What, what great love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. So you're a child of God. And because you're a child of God and Jesus is the only Son of God, the only begotten Son of the Father, we're now brothers. And the Bible says Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. And get this, Jesus is called what? In prophecy, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, the brother of a donkey is a donkey. The brother of a cat is a cat. The sibling of a giraffe is a giraffe. What's the brother of a lion? A lion. And so there's a lion nature on the inside of you. Because Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, lives in you. It's no longer I who lives, Paul says, but Christ now lives in me. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, don't you know that Jesus Christ lives in you? And so because the lion of Judah lives in you, that lion nature lives in you. The Bible says in Proverbs 28.1, The wicked flee when no one, no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as a bold as lions. So prayer is what draws on that lion nature in you. Prayer is what accomplishes what John the Baptist so desired when he said, I must decrease and Jesus, or he, must increase. When you pray, even though you don't see this happening, God, by his fire, is burning out insecurity. He's burning out insufficiencies. He's burning out fear and intimidation. He's burning out every trace of the flesh. Everything that Adam, by sin, brought on the human race. Insecurity, fear, intimidation, uh, low self-esteem problems, all those things, when you pray, those are, it's, you have to see it as like, almost like there's two meters. And when you're born again, you have the flesh and you have the spirit. And when you start praying, this is what happens. Your flesh starts to go down, 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 and your spirit starts to rise high, 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 high. And so that's what happens when you pray. And when you don't pray for long periods of times, what happens is, is that the Spirit, it's not that you have less of the Holy Spirit and stuff, I'm just saying that the influence of the Spirit on your life begins to wane, and the influence of the flesh begins to rise. And so prayer subdues that fleshly influence. That's why Paul said, which by the way, I have to remind you, Paul said, I pray in tongues more than anybody you ever even met or knew. I pray in tongues more than you all. He was so given to prayer. He's the one that said pray always under the power of the Spirit at all times. He said pray without ceasing. So G, uh, Paul, who was a prayer warrior, he's the one who said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I bring my flesh into the subjection of my spirit, lest I myself should be disqualified. So the way that he suppressed his fleshly desires and heightened his spiritual desires is by praying. Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was speaking to his disciples, he said, hey, the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, but here's the key to life, to winning the battles against the flesh. Pray always that you may not enter in to temptation. Prayer is that tool that draws on the God nature in you and suppresses the Adamic nature that pollutes the human, ra human race. When you pray, you're decreasing all 
the fleshly element of you and God's nature takes over. When you pray, you're literally rubbing off on God. You're rubbing on God and God is rubbing off on you. It's like you have to think of it as when you go into like a restaurant, let's say an Indian restaurant. I can only think of Indian restaurant because there's food, is, which by the way, I love Indian food. But Indian food is very uh, pungent in smell. It's very aromatic. And so when you go into an Indian restaurant and you spend an hour and a half there eating with a friend or families, uh, with your family, and you leave the Indian restaurant, or maybe you went and visited the kitchen because they gave you a kitchen tour or whatever. When you leave that restaurant, people are going to smell you and they're going to say, have you been to an Indian restaurant recently? Why? Because the aroma of the restaurant has come on you. The Bible says, let me, let me read this. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and chapter 2, sorry, I'm all messed up with my references. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and beginning with verse Verse 14, this is what Paul says. Now thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Listen to this. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we're an aroma of death leading to death. To the other we're an aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Paul is saying... That God through us diffuses the fragrance of him in every place. So when you pray, you start to smell like God. You start to look like God towards other people on the earth. You start to carry the nature of God. I'm not saying you, you, are, you are God yourself. There's a lot of people, they'll take the sound bit and they'll just run off and make a whatever out of it. I'm saying that when you pray, the God nature gets so intertwined on you and in you that you start to give off the fragrance of God on the earth. You are the, I want you to write that in the comment section. I am the fragrance of God on the earth. I am the fragrance of God on the earth. And so it's when you spend time with God in prayer that your nature starts to change. You people, I can tell when someone is given to prayer and I can tell when someone is not given to prayer. Because when someone's not given to prayer, even their posture is different. Their eyes are different. Their gaze is different. My mentor evangelist, Tiff Shuttlesworth, when you look at him, he scares the duty out of you when he's preaching. Because there's a lion nature on him. Even when he's not preaching, he's, he's walking in the anointing. There's something he carries that when you look at him, you like look down. Because he, he spent time with Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying he's mean. He's the most friendly person you'll ever meet. It's just that if a demon manifests in his meeting, that demon isn't going to survive very long. Because just one look, it's like the eyes of Christ. Remember, Jesus' eyes are like flames of fire, meaning they're piercing eyes. Well, when you spend time with him, that same effect comes on you. Your eyes become piercing. You know, the Bible says when Jesus was praying on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 and Mark 9, that his appearance was changed before the disciples. He didn't look the same anymore. While he was praying, he changed. While he was praying, his appearance changed. When you pray, your appearance changes. You put on Christ. 
And that lion nature comes alive in you. And this new boldness begins to supernaturally increase in you. You know, there's a holy boldness that comes on a person who prays. I mean, think of it. Joshua 10. The Israelites are in battle. Joshua, who was given to prayer, who was one of, the only one that stood by Moses when he went on the mountain to pray for 40 days and 40 nights. Aaron didn't stay. Joshua did. He stood by him. And the Bible says Joshua looked at the sun in Joshua 10 and said, sun, stand still. Where did that guy get that boldness to just command things like that? That's from intimacy with God. There's a lot of people, they look at men of God and women of God and they say, man, it's like this guy, he just says things and they come to pass. Their public rewards and the public manifestations of their words and their decrees comes as a direct result of their private devotion to God in prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, he didn't say if you, fi- if you, d- if you, have fi- if you find time to pray, you know, here's a good thing that's going to happen. He said, when you pray, meaning you don't, you don't look for spare time to pray, you set a time to pray. And if you'll pray, the Bible says, and do it in secretly. And don't be like the hypocrites who only pray public prayers, but go into the secret place. Lock the door behind you. Jesus said, your father who sees what you do in the secret place will himself reward you openly. You know, Elijah calls down fire from heaven in 1 Kings 18. And uh, it's like if you time it, just read the prayer he prayed. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I pray... Send fire on the earth. Confirm that I'm your servant and I've done these things at your word. You time that. Even if he took a long time to say it, it wouldn't surpass 30 seconds to pray that entire prayer. In 30 seconds, he produced a firestorm from heaven that devoured the sacrifice that was on the altar. And everyone looks at that and they say, see, he's just special. No, it's his private devotion that produced that public reward. That's why Joshua was able to just look at the sun. Sun stands still. Look at Paul. Paul was supernatural in his dealings on the earth. Paul looks at a man in Acts chapter 13 who was trying to restrain the gospel from hitting an entire region. And he detected, he discerned in him an evil spirit that he was a false prophet. And so he looked at Bar-Jesus, Elemis his name was. He was a sorcerer. And Paul, being filled with the Holy Ghost, gazed right at him. There it goes with that bold, that bold look that comes on you when you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you pray. And he said, you full of all deceit, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease making crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Behold, the hand of the Lord will come on you and you'll be blind for a time not seeing the sun. And scales came on his eyes. Immediate manifestation of the power of God. But that was produced. That power to release those things came in direct response to his prayer life. Jesus had amazing manifestations, but he was not exempt from the duty to pray. The Bible says he woke up in the morning and a long while before daylight, he went to a solitary place and there he prayed. That's why demons shrieked at his presence. That's why demons could not stand or tolerate because he wasn't just baptized in the Holy Ghost. He wasn't just born by the Holy Ghost. He was filled with supernatural power. Paul's boldness to preach the gospel relentlessly came. This is why this is point number one is prayer changes you. 
It changes you from the inside out. There's something different. Until something changes on the inside, nothing will change on the outside. And that's why prayer is first and foremost designed to change you. Paul said we're to pray without ceasing. Paul said we're to pray at all times in the power of the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Paul said, therefore I exert first of all that supplications and prayers and intercessions be made for all men. He was constantly pleading with the people to pray. If you read a lot of his epistles, start with, I pray for you day and night, making mention of you in my prayers. Day and night, ceaselessly. No wonder Paul, the Bible says, increased in strength. No wonder Paul, God worked extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body. The Bible says in Psalm 84 that the people go from strength to strength as they appear before God in Zion. We go from strength to strength. We take on new strength as we appear before God in Zion. Zion is, is, is the, the Bible says, the habitation of God is Zion on the mountains of the north. It's the presence of God. And the Bible says it's only when we appear before God's presence, when we pray, when we set a time to come before his throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace, that's when we go from strength to strength. Are you lacking strength today? Pray. Are you feeling weak and weary? Pray. Are you about to quit and you're frustrated? Pray. Are you finding that you don't quite have the vigor of your youth? Pray. And the Bible says, Psalm 92, those that plant their feet in the house of God will flourish in the courts of God. Even in old age, the Bible says, they will be fresh and flourishing and they shall still bear fruit. Hallelujah. Number two. Prayer changes things. So prayer doesn't just change you. Prayer changes things. Listen to this. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread... So when he had arrested Peter, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers and keep, and to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover to do the same thing that he, was, he had done with James, to kill him. Peter was therefore, this is the key, Acts 12, 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised them up, saying, Arise quickly. And so his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was being, by, being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was in fantasy land. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, and went out and down one street, and immediately the angel departed. Peter had come to himself. He said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered what happened, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. John gets kidnapped, gets taken by, by Herod. 
They cut his head off. They behead him. He dies. Church was not praying for James. There's no record in Acts chapter 12 or 11 or 13 or in any other verse of the Bible that the church prayed for James. And it didn't turn out good. Peter, they end up going out for Peter now. And the church must have come to a realization now. If we do the same thing we did for James and just leave it up to God's sovereignty or whatever, we're, we're going to be down to like one apostle very soon. So they took up arms and prayed. They engaged in heavenly warfare. And the scripture says that constant prayer was made to God from the church. Fervent prayer was made for Peter. What changed? Everything changed. James's story did not end the same way Peter's story ended. And the key ingredient was prayer. The Bible says when they prayed, God sent an angel to not only break Peter, uh, to, to not only break Peter out, but lead him out of the entire city that he would have been a fugitive in. The scripture says he struck him on his side. He said, get up. And he led him past the guards, past the doorposts, and past the iron gate that led to the city. That shows you two things. Not only can God take the, the, the test that you're in and turn it into a testimony through prayer, not only can God take the mess that you're in and turn it into a message, not only can God turn everything around through the agency of prayer, but the Bible says he brought, him, he brought them through the iron gate which opened of its own accord. Supernatural doors began to open for Peter because of the, prayer, uh, the church praying for him. Iron gates were opening of, its own, of their own accord. That, was a, that came as a result of prayer. When the people prayed, nothing stood before Peter. There was an effortless grace that came on his life that everywhere he went, doors opened, gates opened, and he went on gracefully to break free. The Bible says very clearly, call unto me, Jeremiah 33, 3, and I will answer you and I will show you great things. It doesn't say call unto me. And uh, you know what? I'll explain why you're in that predicament and uh, why it's necess necessary for you to stay in that, that diseased area of life. And No, it says call unto me and I'll do something about it. I'll do something about it. God, get this. God is a good God. God is a loving father. God has a good will for your life. And God is obsessive about helping you. The Bible says, uh, David said, I cried out to the Lord and he delivered me. And he delivered me out of all my distress. God is obsessive about helping you. It's not only something he does when he has nothing else to do or it's like a hobby of his when he has free time. God is obsessed about helping you in whatever concerns you. But the thing that you're facing won't change in your favor unless you pray. They have not because they ask not, James said in James 4.3. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 20, three armies had encamped against Judah. And their purpose was to make war against Judah. And the purpose was to wipe out Judah from the face of the earth. Hezekiah, sorry, Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat gets up and he begins, he, he feared 
the Bible says. So it's one, you know, you get bad news coming your way. The natural reaction is to fear. But if all you do is fear and worry about the situation, it ain't going to change. Having a need is not what gets God to intervene. If that were the case, there would be no needs because the moment a need came, God would intervene. Just having a need, crying about your situation is not what gets God to move in acting in your favor. If tears were the solution, the Bible would just say, you know, cry it up. But it doesn't say that. It's faith that gets God to move in your direction. It's faith that acts as a spiritual magnet that brings God on the scene. So when you're praying, that's the way you're expressing your faith. I'm not talking about the prayer that a lot of people do, where prayer is just a venting session. God, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe you'd let this happen. I can't believe this is happening. Uh, why is the devil doing this to me? That's not the type, that's not praying, that's complaining. It's complaining masked in prayer. It's like a, a false spiritual prayer. It, has not, it doesn't do anything to God. The Bible says, don't complain as they complained and they were destroyed by the destroyer. So prayer is not a time where you come and just vent. God's not your diary where you just list off everything that's gone wrong and, and you know, just complain about it. He's not your therapist where he's just there to listen and hear you out. God, a therapist has to say, I'm here to listen. Because a therapist can't do squat to help you in many things, in most, in, in anything. The Bible says, give us help from trouble for the help of men is useless. That's what David said. Therapists can't do anything. God can. That's why he's saying, don't vent. Just ask me to do something about it and I'll get it done. I'll send an angel. Second Chronicles 32, Sennacherib came against uh, Hezekiah and his people. Hezekiah cries out to the Lord and they fast and pray. What happened? God sent one angel that wiped out 185,000 of the Assyrian army and sent home Sennacherib shamefaced. And in one day, their situation turned around. Israel gets to a Red Sea. Moses cries out to God. God says, hey, take that rod, wave it over the sea, and the sea split. In one day, the Israelites went through dry ground where there was a sea. And not only that, God said, the Egyptians that you see today, you'll never see them again. And the sea that opened for them closed up on their enemies. And in one day, God gave them a great victory. All because they asked. All because they asked. Second Chronicles 20, Joseph had prayed. So he feared, he saw the problem. But he didn't just say, oh God, I can't believe this is happening. The Bible says he feared, but then he set himself to seek the Lord. Problems in life will come. They're going to come. Jesus said in this world you'll have trial and tribulation. How you react to problems will determine whether you become a victim of the problem or a victor over the problems. Whether you remain in a perpetual state of frustration or you become, like I just read before, someone who triumphs in all things by Christ Jesus. Jehoshaphat feared, all right, that was the natural part of him, but then he did the right thing. He sought the Lord. He set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed the fast, and he prayed. And when he prayed, God moved on a prophet that spoke up and said, hey, hey. Because remember, Jehoshaphat's prayer was, Lord, we have no power against this great multitude. 
Some of you today are facing things that you feel powerless against. Some of you are facing things that are huge, impossible scenarios that there's no way they can pan out. In the flesh, in the natural, there's no way they can pan out in your favor. Some of you have mountains that aren't climbable in front of you. You have impossible obstacles that the enemy set up, snares that the devil set up in your life. Some of you are facing marriages that even the therapists have given up on and said, look, just get a divorce. But there's something in you that said, no, I still have hope. Well, just having hope isn't going to do much. Let that hope drive you to pray. Because God can reverse the irreversible. God can change the unchangeable. God can do the impossible. He's the God of all flesh, the Bible says, and nothing is too difficult for me. So you're facing an impossible thing. Doctor said there's no hope. You will die. Well, he may have given you the bad report, but we have a different report. And I'll believe the report of the Lord. And I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because I believe the report of the Lord. And I'm going to see it because I'm going to storm heaven with his word in hand. Not with my complaints, with his evidence from his, from his word. God, you're the one that said this. God, you're the one that spoke this already. I'm not asking you things that I've come up with in my own wild imaginations. You said it. And so I'm asking on the basis of your word. That's what Jehoshaphat did. He said, you said in your word, this, if you read 2 Chronicles 20, that if we would stand in this temple, which we don't have a temple made with hands anymore, this is the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the eternal flame is alive in your spirit. So we're not going around finding spiritual meccas going to Jerusalem to stand by the wailing wall or the western wall just so that we can put in our little request in the wall that perhaps God will hear us a little clearer. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. God dwells in you. He can't be closer to you. Jerusalem's not as close as that. He cannot be closer to you than in you. He didn't say I'll rest upon you. He said I will dwell in you. I don't know if God hears me. He's not hard of hearing or deaf. He hears you because he dwells in you. And Jehoshaphat prayed, if we stand in this temple, which the temple in the Old Testament was the physical one, the temple in the New Testament is, is, is us. And if we stand praying, and if we disaster or sword or pestilence or anything comes against us, Jehoshaphat said, you said that if we ask you, that you'll deliver us right on the spot. And so we have no power against this great multitude, but our eyes are on you. And then the prophet spoke, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You will not need to fight this battle. When you fight in prayer, you don't have to fight with your actual hands. When you wage the good warfare in your prayer time, you don't have to lift a finger. God will rise. The Bible says, let God arise and all his enemies be scattered. We rise by praying. And when we rise to pray, God rises. And when he rises from his throne, every enemy has no choice but to bow out of your life. That's what happened. The three armies, God sent confusion on them. One army fought another, then the other fought the other, and then they had demolished themselves. And when Jehoshaphat and the Israelites came over the, the, the valley, and they looked on to, into the valley, the Bible says 
There was not one who had escaped. They all killed and slaughtered themselves. Not one had escaped. The only thing they had to do was go and get the spoil of war. I'm here to tell you, my friend, that there might be a great army that's arrayed against you. The oppositions might be not in your favor. They might be against you. People may have counted you out. Doctors may have counted you out. Uh, therapists and counselors may have counted you out. Maybe even your own pastor may have counted you out. But I'm here to tell you that there are more that are for you than there is against you with your opposition is the arm of flesh and at best the arm of Satan but that Satan is a defeated foe and with us is the arm of God and the Bible says if God be for us who can be against us the Bible says if God is my helper whom should I fear who should I be afraid of if the Lord is my light and salvation what shall I fear he's my confidence he's my stronghold the scripture says when my enemy and camp against me they shall stumble and they shall fall because God is my defense and the fortress of my life I see God as you pray today concerning that situation I see God rising up and acting as a force field of defense around you. And every blueprint of the enemy is being burnt up by fire. His plans are failing miserably. Everything that he's done shall backfire against them. And what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn it for your good. And you'll rise to the top. And you shall ride on the high places of the earth in Jesus' name. Hezekiah, you're going to die. Isaiah 38, that's what Isaiah said. You're going to die. Get your house in order. Hezekiah turned to the wall towards Jerusalem, and he said, God, remember your covenant. Remember how I've served you. And what happened? Isaiah got spun on his ankles, came back into Hezekiah's chambers and said, Hey, you prayed pretty powerful prayer. I didn't hear you, but God did. And he's told me to come and tell you that I've added 15 years to your life. You don't have to accept everything that comes your way. You don't have to sign for the package. Amazon might send me a package or, or whatever. I might get a package from FedEx. I might get a package from whatever. And if, I've not, if I don't recall ordering it, and if I feel like it's a suspicious package, I can click off that return to sender box, and I don't have to take it. Too many Christians are just taking what comes their way, when in reality, we're to take an assessment of our life and see what in my life is, 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 uh, is viol in a violation to my inheritance as a born-again child of God. And when you assess the situation, you see, hey, sickness is not part of this covenant. Hey, disease is not part of this covenant. Depression doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that I have to stay depressed. All of it has nothing to do with my inheritance in Christ. And so what do we do then? We, we assess the situation, and then in prayer, we go to war against the unseen forces that are trying to steal, kill, and destroy and we boot him out. We resist the devil and he'll flee. And then we pull down heaven's will in that area. Riches for poverty. Health for sickness. Strength for weakness. Joy for depression. Peace for sorrow. Victory for defeat. Hallelujah. I will look to the mountains, David said. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord. Number two, prayer changes things. You might have been born that way. I'm not talking about the born that way, the way people talk about it. I'm just saying maybe you were born with a deformality. Maybe you were born with a, a, a disorder in your mind. Maybe you were born, they say, you, you know, you, you were born with ADD. You were born, whatever it is, you don't have to die that way. God can change it. Jesus did not come around with this ethereal ministry 
where people came to him sick and he just prayed blessings on them. And, and they left still sick, but they were blessed. Amen. That's not what Jesus, Jesus met the physical needs of the people. Jesus changed real things. Those three armies that came against Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, they were real armies. They weren't make-believe. They weren't pretend armies. They were real armies. Quit listening to preachers that over-spiritualize everything. That, you know, when blind Bartimaeus came to Jesus and he asked for sight, they never talk about God opening the eyes of the blind. They just say, some of you need spiritual vision. That, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that Jesus heals the blind. Stop bringing figurative ideas on literal Stories, things that actually, this isn't fairy tale. We're not here to dissect and discern and, and, and write a book report on the metaphorical language of the Bible. Finest Dake used to say, wherever the Bible is literal, take it literally. If it's figurative, find the literal meaning. Because a lot of, you know, there's, Isaiah talks figuratively and stuff. But what Jesus did was literal. He healed the sick, all manner of sickness and disease. He raised the dead. He raised the widow's son, the widow of Nain. Touched the cask and the son sprang back. That's not God's going to revive some dreams for you today. No, he can raise the dead. And I want to tell you, if he, can, if he can change someone from dead to alive, then he can change you from sickness to healthy. He can change you from bankrupt to prospering. He can change you from depressed to joyful. He can change your marriage from distressful to pleasurable. He can change your home from, from distressing to a, a joyful home. He can change your situation. Not metaphorically give you power to cope. Actually do something about the problem. Some of you have things that you've been dealing with for 15 years. This is a word I feel in my spirit for some of you. You've been dealing with certain things for 15 years. And you've never thought about praying. You've gone a natural route. You've sought, But you've never bothered God with your problem. As if he's even bothered. The Bible says, Jesus, God said this, Peter said this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Cast your cares upon God, for he cares for you. But the difference is, when man cares for you, it's like, hey, I care for you. Here's a hug. Hey, I care for you. I'm going to send you a meal. Hey, I care for you. Let me buy you lunch. When God cares for you, he goes beyond all that. He, he actually nips the problem in the in the bud. He changes, he reverses the irreversible. He totally transforms. He does what I cannot see. He does exceedingly and abundantly all that you can ask or think or imagine according to his glorious power. Number two, prayer changes things. Bible says, my soul waits silently for God alone for my expectation is from him. So David wasn't going to going around bothering everyone else with his problems and, and talking about what he was going through and all that. He just said, my, my soul's waiting silently for God alone. God only. If God can't do it, who's going to do it? If God can't take me there, who can? If God can't give it to me, where can I find it? Who's going to give it to me? If God can't lift the stone, who can lift it? And then he says, my expectation is from him. Quit looking to plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E. Look to him. The Bible says they looked unto him and their faces became radiant and they were no longer ashamed. The Bible says in the book of Psalm, uh, the book of Psalm, that he alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my defense. I will not be moved. He's my fortress. Bishop David Oedepo heard from the Lord one time. 
He was praying. And he said, the Lord told him and said, David, my son David, take one eye and look up and take the other eye and look down. Can you do it? He said, I tried to do it. I couldn't do it. You can try wherever you're at. Try to do it. Unless you're, you're weird, you can't do it. And he said, so don't claim to be looking to me when you're still looking to man. Either look up or look down. When you look down, you forfeit heaven's up, help. The Bible says, cursed is the man who puts his trust in man. But blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord. Number three, what does prayer do? The power of prayer. Prayer brings divine direction. Ezra 8.28. Then I proclaim the fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from him the right way for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. So Ezra fasted and prayed for direction for him, his little ones, and all of his possessions. You know, the Bible says that it's the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and leads you in the way that you should go. God wants to lead you in your life. God's intricately and intimately acquainted with all of your ways. He wants to be involved with everything. If you're facing a job choice, a career choice, a, a, a place to live where you need to know where you want to live, home to buy, car to buy, anything, even what meal to eat, whatever it is, God wants to direct you in all things. The Bible says that in Romans 8, 14, those who are the sons of God, these are led by the Spirit of God. If you're a child of God, you're entitled to the leading of the Spirit of God. And when God's Spirit leads you, it's the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and He leads you in the way that you should go. God will not lead you wayward. God will lead you in the way that you have to go. God will not lead you to a lesser place in life. God will not lead you downwards. God will lead you upwards and forwards. God will always lead you to a higher place. He'll always lead you to a better land. He'll always lead you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Every time the Israelites followed God's leading, they always ended up better, not worse off. Every time you follow God's leading, the Bible says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will God train in the way he should teach him. He will dwell in prosperity, but the rebellious will dwell in dry land. So when you rebel against his leading, you dwell in a dry land. But if you heed to his leading, the Bible says he'll prosper you. He'll help you. He'll lead you by still waters. He'll make you to lie down in green pastures. In, see, there's a lot of people, the reason why I'm talking about this is because this is a neglected place in prayer. There's a lot of Christians that want the word of the prophet. If I can get brother so-and-so to give me a word, if I can get TJ to give me a word, if I can get Isaiah to give me a word, if I can get uh, David Deegan to give me a word, if I can get brother so-and-so to give me a word, if I can just get them to speak a word, I'll get clarity and direction as to where I'm supposed to go and everything will be flower. You're reverting to the Old Testament way of doing things. In the Old Testament, three people carried the, 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 the Holy Spirit. It was the, the priest, the king, and the prophet. The Holy Spirit was upon them. So when the king wanted to receive direction, they'd oftentimes go to the prophet and the prophet would point them in the right direction. That's the Old Testament way of doing things. In the New Testament, the Bible says, know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit. To all Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And it's when you pray that you're diving deep into the mind of Christ to get specific direction for your own life. The Bible says, who has the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. 
You have the mind of Christ. It's not a mind you have to get. You have the mind of Christ. When you pray, that mind, everything God knows. You see, the Bible says in 1 John 2.27 that you have an anointing from the Holy One, the Holy Spirit, and you know all things. So the mind of Christ is in you. You know everything. But it's when you pray that the knowledge of what God knows is transmitted to your actual mind so you can actually take action on it and you can actually profit from it. So it's when you pray that transmissions from the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ come into your actual mind. Because remember, you are a spirit being, you have a mind, and it's in your mind that, that the decision-making processes, the volition of man, the, the choices are made. So when you pray... You're creating a clear transmission into your spirit man, which is connected divinely to Christ to receive downloads from his mind to transmit it to your mind. I hope that makes sense so that you can actually take action on it. That's why you look at David. David always inquired of the Lord. Lord, should I go up? Lord, should I go and do this? God, should I? That's why he never missed a step. That's why he never. It was only one time David screwed up. In the season where kings went to war, David stayed at home. When he should have been praying and he should have been at war, he stayed at home, rested his hands. And that's when the enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat. When you, you can't take vacation from prayer. You can't take a sabbatical from prayer. It's a dangerous thing to not pray. Because the Bible says when men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat. That's when David had his worst time in life. And he learned a lesson. Jesus said, you're still sleeping. Rise up and pray. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray that you enter not into temptation. Number four, and I finish with this. Prayer changes others. Prayer changes others. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 4, let each of you look not only out for their own, your own interests, but also for the interests of others. I want you to write in the comment section, others. Others. William Booth sent a telegram, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. One Christmas evening, he sent a telegram out to people worldwide. And uh, the message was the same for every base, because he had missionaries overseas and stuff. And the message was the same. O-T-H-E-R-S. Others. His message was be concerned for others. Don't be self-absorbed. Many times, people's prayers are selfish is about me, God, I need. And we talked about how God will supply all your needs through prayer. God will, 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 will change things for you. God will change you and then change things for you. We've established that. But don't become self-absorbed in prayer. Pray kingdom advancement prayers. Pray for the salvation of nations. Pray for God to ch shake our generation. Colossians 4.12, this is what the Bible says. Epaphras, who was a servant of God, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Epaphras was a prayer warrior. But Paul takes note that as great of a prayer warrior Epaphras was, every time I heard him pray, he was laboring because prayer is labor. Prayer is not cheap task. Prayer is hard work. It's hard work. And when you do it by the Spirit, it becomes... It becomes effortless, but it's still, there's still, you have to engage. The Bible says, who is he that has engaged his heart to approach unto me? 
So it's not just mindlessly praying in tongues for an hour or mindlessly just speaking a, 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 a few scriptures here and there. Prayer is engaging God with your heart, with the very core of your being. Epaphras did it, laboring fervently. No, it doesn't say for me or for, for himself or his family. It says for you in prayers, people he had never even met probably, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That's a good thing to do. In praying for others, you have someone that pops into your mind, pray that they may stand, I don't know what to pray for, Lord. Pray that they may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Because when you pray that, you're covering every base. Because all the will of God, God's will hits every facet of man. Financial, physical, spiritual, solical, familial, it hits everything. So if you don't know what to pray for them, pray that they may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You know, Esther would have been all right if she was just self-absorbed and didn't pray for the deliverance of the Jews because she was the queen. She would have been exempt. They wouldn't have killed her. The king loved her. So she would have been fine. But the Bible says Esther was concerned for others and we know that because she fasted water and food for three days praying that the plans of the enemy would backfire on Haman and that the Jews be preserved. And it was through her prayers that, and her prayers that she, uh, she prayed because of the burden she felt for the people that a whole nation was delivered. Don't think that, don't ever think that your prayers, even though you be one, cannot have national impact in your country of residence. Moses was one person. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, I believe it is, that he had a burden for the children of Israel. He tried to do it in the flesh, it didn't work. But then when he had an encounter with God at the burning bush, and that was a form of prayer, he was communicating with God. When he had that encounter, God used one man, and he acted as an intercessor. This is what Moses was an intercessor. He interceded for the children of Israel before God. And God used one man to change the direction of an entire nation. Don't you think? Charles Finney was one man. And he went into Rochester, New York. Started preaching for 30 days and had prayer meetings every day with two of his companions. And there were three people that changed, that, that kicked off the first great awakening. Or was the second great awakening? One of the awakenings. One, just one man. You look at Smith Wigglesworth, one man who interceded on behalf of the people uh, before God and then went out and spoke. Sweden, he, he would have mass crusades in all Sweden and his, his impact is still felt to this day. David was one man. He interceded on behalf of the children of Israel when Goliath was mouthing off. I told you, we don't get actual slings and stones anymore. That's how they did it back then. But now, if you have a Goliath mouthing off against our generation, against our children, against the school systems, against the, uh, the, 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 the babies yet in the womb that have yet to come out, warring against the family, warring against the generation, you can use the sling and stone of prayer to knock the heads of Goliaths off and bring about a victory that has international impact. David, one man, brought a victory for an entire na a nation. So that they even changed the national anthem of Israel from David as, uh, from Saul has killed his thousands to David has killed his ten thousands. 
This is what we call intercessory prayer. Praying for others. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit intercedes through us when we pray in the Spirit. And when he intercedes through us, he actually gives us power also to intercede for others. What is intercession? It's when you begin to pray for another with the same feelings of infirmity that they carry. And some of you have had this experience. You're praying for someone. I had it yesterday, actually. I was at Costco. And I was just walking. And the lady was there. You know, they give out the samples. And I just passed by her. And I kid you not, when I looked at her, I felt the burden of her soul come on me. And I almost started, and I never do, I don't tear up easy. And I almost started tearing up in the Costco. I just felt the burden of her soul, the burden of what she was carrying come on her. I went and I spoke to her. I said, God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. And then I prayed for her. Uh, You know, I prayed for her as I I continued my shopping and stuff. But I, I felt the feelings of her infirmity. When you intercede for someone, God will literally... Make you feel what they feel so that you're more... Because if not, you know, people who carried healing ministries, you can tell they felt for those people. People that don't see many people healed, this is their prayer. God, we just pray that if it be thy will... There's no love there. There's no feeling. There's no heart engagement. It's just, God, everything's okay with me, so I really don't want to be doing this right now, but... They asked me to pray, so, all right. David said in the book of Psalms, I want to get this. This is off the top of my head, so hopefully I can locate it. But he said, I prayed as though it were my own brother. I paced about as though it were my own mother praying. I don't know where it is. But he he prayed. He said, I prayed as though I was praying for my own, my own brother. I paced as though I was, I was contending for my own mother. I, I didn't disconnect what they felt with my prayers. I, I, I engaged God as though I were them praying. That's what intercession is. You begin to feel the feelings of another. You may you look at someone that's lost, you might feel the sensation, even though you're saved, you might feel the sensation of lostness. Of being lost. The groaning. That's the Bible says the Holy Spirit produces groanings in you that cannot be uttered. To intercede is, is to stand in that person's place. Jesus intercedes for us constantly in heaven right now. He constantly makes intercession for us. He's standing in heaven on our account. And on the earth, we're to stand as intercessors for others. That You know, you might be the only person that prays for that person ever. Psalm 35, 13, and 14. Thanks, AJ. By the way, I did an interview with AJ Bible. You can go on his YouTube account. I don't know if it's up yet, but his YouTube account, AJ Bible. um, Subscribe to it. He's a wonderful minister of the gospel. Lives in South Carolina. And that interview will be posted soon. Psalm, what is it? Psalm 35, 13, and 14. This is what he said. As for me, when they were sick. So he's not saying I was sick. He said, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I was feeling okay, but I put on sackcloth so I can feel the infirmity. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer returned to my own heart, meaning it came from here. I paced about as though he were my own brother or friend. I bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. 
Those, that's serious language. That's not, God, I pray you visit them in there. You know, when someone's lost, praying, God save them, you know, we pray they dig it. That's not the proper prayer to pray. The proper prayer to pray, the one that actually hits the heart of God is, God, use me, or if they won't receive it from me, raise up a laborer to reap in that harvest field in Jesus' name. You'll see your prayers not only have power to set you free, you can set people around you free. Paul and Silas were praying and praising in the prison cell in Acts chapter 16. And the Bible says that an earthquake happened. That was God stepping into that prison cell. And everyone's chains were unfastened and everyone's prison cell doors were opened and they were all set free. Your prayers can do the same thing. Don't look out for your own interests only. Look out for the interests of others. Be concerned for others. Joseph was concerned for others. Daniel was concerned for others. And that's why they made their mark in their generation. Jesus did nothing for himself. He did everything for those around him. And we're to be Christ-like. So pray like Epaphras prayed. That they, that people may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That concludes today's lesson on uh, the power of prayer. But I want to pray for you right now. And before I do that, matter of fact, let me pray first. I want to pray for you right now. Some of you are standing in the gap for someone. You know, the Bible says, I sought for a man to stand in the gap. That's what intercessor, intercessory prayer is. You're standing in the gap for someone else. You know, Abraham interceded for Sodom. He interceded for Sodom. God, if there's only 50, if there's only 40, if there's only 30. And because of his intercession, I believe that Lot was spared because God wasn't going to spare anyone. But God looked on Abraham's prayers favorably and he said, even though there's not even 10, I'll spare Lot because Abraham's my friend. You don't know what kind, only heaven and eternity will be able to allow us to see in to the full potential that our prayers brought on the earth, what it did for others. There's a lady that was awakened at 3 a.m. once, praying for my mentor, Evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth. She said, I, I woke up and I felt a burden to pray for you, and I, don't, I hadn't thought of you for months, and all of a sudden, you're on my mind, woke up, and I began to pray in the Spirit. I didn't know what to pray for, so I prayed in the Spirit. She called uh, his wife, Judy, the next day, Said, hey, at 3 a.m., I was just praying for this. She's like, well, I don't know. I haven't talked to Tiff today. So she called Tiff, Evangelist Tiff, and his wife, Judy, said, hey, uh, what happened last night? And then, lo and behold, he said, I was driving. It was about 3 a.m., and I fell asleep at the road. And when I opened up my eyes, I was head-on collision with an 18-wheeler truck, and I was about to hit. And right at that moment, I, I like, woke up and spun out, spun, spun right back on my side of the highway. Well, you see, that one lady's prayer, she, Tiff, Evangelist Tiff was able to know what happened, but that one, uh, that one lady was able to, you know, they told her the testimony afterwards, but that one lady's prayer saved a minister's life who went on, who, 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 who's led, just crossed over a million decisions for Christ. Praise the Lord. So don't discount. Don't discount your, the effect of your prayers. Let me pray for you. I'm going to pray like Zechariah prayed that a spirit of grace and prayer would come on you. There's a spirit of prayer. There's people that carry the spirit of prayer. They can pray 
And they pray effectively. And when they pray, things happen. And they're always in that spirit of prayer. Kenneth Hagin used to be like that. He'd just be praying at all times, in, in all occasions, in the power of the Spirit, building himself up on his most holy faith. He just prayed always. I'm going to pray for that spirit of prayer to come on you. And I'm also going to pray for the spirit of faith to come, come alongside so that you won't play, pray cheap, uh, spiritually lazy prayers. The just enough prayers. Pray the more than enough prayers. Because we serve El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for those that have tuned in today. I pray, let a grace be released on them, even now, all across the earth, wherever they might be watching from. A grace to pray without ceasing. A grace to pray in the Spirit at all times, under every occasion. And I pray for the Spirit of faith to accompany their prayer life, Lord, that they would pray big prayers, lion mouth shutting prayers, Jericho wall crumbling prayers, Red Sea parting prayers. Father, resurrection life type of prayers in the name of Jesus. Prayers that change things, prayers that change families, prayers that change nations in Jesus' mighty name, in the name of Jesus. Receive that grace now. All of you that are watching. And I pray, even now for everyone that's watching that has a specific need. A specific need. I ask you, Lord, and I come in agreement with them. Because you said, if two of you on earth shall agree concerning anything that they might ask, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. I come in agreement with my brothers and sister across this earth. And I pray, Lord, whatever represents an object of concern in their life, let it be cleared out of the way now, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're watching now, you've never given your life to Jesus and you'd like to do so, I want you to pray this prayer with me. The very, you know, the Bible says, God is far from the wicked. He hears the prayers of the upright. And Psalm 66, 18 says, unless I, if I had regarded iniquity, if I kept sin in my heart, the Lord would not hear me. There's one thing that keeps God from hearing your prayers. And this is the only thing. And that is, is there sin in your heart? Have you repented of sin? Have you turned from your wicked ways and turned towards God and you've come on the pathway of holiness? If not, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not hear me. Turn to Jesus today. Pray this prayer with me. If you've never done it, today's your day. If you have done it, but you want to recommit your life to Christ, do this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let all things become new. Today, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm never going backwards. I give my life to you. Empower me to live for you and to stand perfect and complete in all your will. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to get in contact with me. Salvationnow.ca. I just got saved is the first link that pops up. Click that. Fill it out. Get it to me. I want to send you a package free of charge as a way of saying welcome to the family of God. Uh, it's a Bible and some resources that's going to help you greatly in this walk with Christ. Do that. Salvationnow.ca. I just got saved. Fill out the form. If you've committed your life for the first time today or if you're rededicating your life to Jesus, Go fill out that form. I want to hear from you and I want to send this package to you free of charge. 
as a way of saying welcome to the family of God. God bless you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.